is our year up. Would you give one of those to everyone, please? Yeah. Thank you, Hannah. Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to see you tonight. Give that lady a visitor's card. Thank you, dear. The hymn we just sung, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, you notice it's written by, it was written by Augustus M. Toplady. And uh, I believe that this is the hymn that he wrote one day when he was going through Cheddar Gorge in England. Is that right, Mark? Do you recall? Okay. Uh, if you've never been to Cheddar Gorge, I was speaking to someone the other day and said that they had been there. I think it was Kurt and Karen. Um, they had gone over their visit, and they went to Cheddar Gorge. But anyway, a big storm came up, and uh, he took shelter, a refuge in the cleft of a, um, well, in the gorge there. It's a bit like a big valley that goes through there. And he had a piece of paper, he wrote this song down, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Uh, you know, all these old hymns that we sang, um, these authors knew what they were talking about. And uh, this has been an old, old one that's been sung down through the ages. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, trust you do, let's take them and turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 8. And... Uh, we're continuing our series on Oh Ye of Little Faith. And you know, if there was ever anyone in the history of the world who had the greatest faith, you would think that it was the Lord's disciples. Um, however, the fact is that they were no different than you and I. But these men who, who uh, had walked with the Lord and sat at His feet for, what, at least three years, you, you would think that they would be examples of, of uh, great faith. But sometimes that wasn't the case. And that's why the Lord had to rebuke them four times uh, in the book of Matthew with those words, Oh, ye of little faith. And you know, there were times when their faith was great, just like ours is. And other times when it wasn't so great. Other times it was so small that, again, he had to rebuke them because their faith was so small. And uh, uh, the fact that Jesus rebuked them for their lack of faith I think should encourage us because it shows us that uh, they were just like us. They were frail and sometimes they were faithless. And the first time he spoke these words was in Matthew chapter 6 and we looked at that the last time um, during his Sermon on the Mount. And he rebuked them because they were filled with what? Do you remember? What were they filled with the first time? No. They were filled with care. They were filled with care. They were worrying. And uh, they were worrying about the currency of this world, mammon, that's money. And uh, they were worrying about the coffers of the heart, their treasures where they stored the temporal things of life. And uh, they were 
worrying about the cares of this life. Just the everyday necessities of life, like shelter and uh, clothes and food. Basically the same things we worry about sometimes. So this evening we're going to look at the second time that Jesus rebuked them. And uh, we're looking in Matthew chapter 8. And I'm going to read verse 18, and then we're going to jump to verse 23. All right? Matthew chapter 8 and verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And then moving down to verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are ye, what? Fearful, O ye of little faith. And uh, then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And when he was come to the other side of the country, into the country of the Gadareans, and uh, so on. So, anyway, we'll go there to 27. Good evening. Good to see everybody. So the second time that he rebuked them was because they were filled with fear. Have you ever been in that condition? Anyone ever fear? Did you? You need some more? Some right? Oh, he's he's passing them out there. Alrighty. Now we're going to look at the circumstances. All right. First of all, and we see in verse eighteen it says, "Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side." Now before we go any further. Um, with me as we pray, all right? Our Father, we're so thankful for this week and for bringing us through it safely. Thank you for the snow. We need the moisture. The Lord uh, just uh, reminds us of, uh, of, of, of your goodness and purity, and we thank you for that. Thank you for those who've come tonight. Lord, open our eyes as we open your word. We ask that you'd help us to understand, and uh, may this message be... Uh, helpful to everyone. It may make a difference in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the circumstances. Now, Jesus has just concluded his Sermon on the Mount, all right, in uh, chapter 7, and then he descends back down the mountain to his city, which was the city of Capernaum, which was located on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And as he enters the city, he's followed by a great crowd of people. And that was the norm. Wherever Jesus went, there were always crowds of people. Many of them, uh, many had needs and, uh, and, and, and they wanted a miracle from him. They were sick, they're, they're dying people. We see that in verse 1 of chapter 7. And, uh, or chapter 8, excuse me. So they, they are just curious, some of them are. So he begins to heal many of them before entering Peter's house in verses 2 through 13. And while there, he also heals Peter's mother-in-law. How many of you were raised 
in the Catholic Church. All right. Um, what were you taught about the popes? The pope. Yes, sir. All right, but Peter, yes, but Peter was. Huh? He supposedly was the first pope. However, there was a condition for a pope. They couldn't be married. Well, we've got a problem here, don't we? Do you, do you see what the problem is? Jesus went to Peter's home, and Peter's mother-in-law, that means he had a wife. She is sick. He was grandfathered in. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's a good one, Gabe. So um, anyway, so while he's there, um, there, there are many who are possessed with devils and, and uh, are brought to him, and, and he healed them. But he heals Peter's mother-in-law. So it's just a little interesting side note there. Uh, if you ever hear someone say, well, Peter was never married, that's not correct. And this is just one place where it's mentioned. Okay. So after preaching on the mountain and healing, healing all those who uh, came to him, uh, the Lord may have been physically weary. Did you know that Jesus got weary? He was very man, but he was very God. And he, got, he became weary. And having no place of his own, we're told in verse 20, he commands his disciples to depart and sail across the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That's verse 18. So the disciples board the ship, and not long after they launch out, a great and a violent storm uh, begins to churn. And, uh, you know, most of these disciples, uh, they're seasoned fishermen. And they were used to storms. However, they had never encountered a storm like this one. Um, this was, I guess we could call it the mother of all storms. They begin to cry out for the Lord to save them. And then he rebukes them in verse 26. Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? There it is. He rebukes them because they were filled with fear. And they were afraid, and panic gripped their hearts. You know how often in life uh, we become afraid, and uh, fear grips our hearts. In 1933, the Great Depression had reached its depth, and fear was rampant. And during his first inaugural address on March the 4th, Franklin D. Roosevelt, the 32nd president, said this, and I'm sure that you've heard his words. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. So, we're all afraid of something. If I were to ask you to name me something that you're afraid of, I'm sure we'd have a lot of different responses. Um, I, 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 read, I, I read the following in a devotional several years ago. And it said, quote, We all fear at times, and many carry with them unnecessary and destructive fears. We're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of any change. We're afraid to plunge into new situations, a new job, or a new way of life. We're afraid of the future. We're afraid to risk. Uh, we're afraid to fail or to appear as if we have failed. We're afraid to love because to love is to trust. And the fear of broken trust devastates us. We're afraid of closeness. We're afraid of getting hurt. 
End of quote. We are, and I've added some things here, we're, we are afraid of others. We're afraid of the past, of the present. We're afraid of life, of growing old, of death, of sickness, of losing our job, of poverty, of criticism, of loneliness, of illness, of the dark, of moving to an unfamiliar place, or things that may never happen. How many of you have heard of Ann Landers? The older generation, we would have heard of Ann Landers. Well, that wasn't her real name. Ann Landers was a pen name created by Chicago Sun-Times advice columnist Ruth Crawley in 1943. And it was taken over by Esther Pauline Letter in 1955. For 56 years, the Ask Ann Landers syndicate advice column was a regular feature in many newspapers across North America. And owing to its popularity, Ann Landers, though fictional, became something of a national institution and cultural icon. She used to receive an average of 10,000 letters each month from people burdened with problems. Anybody here ever sent her a letter for her to answer? She was asked if there was one thing that was predominant in the letters she received, and her reply was, yes, it's fear. People are afraid of losing their health, their loved ones, their wealth. People are afraid of life itself. Isn't that amazing? And I don't think things have changed any since then. You know, the Greek word for fear is phabeo. It's spelled P-H-O-B-E-O, phabeo. And it means to frighten, to be afraid, a persistent strong fear of a certain object or situation. And we get our word phobia from that Greek word. And, uh, you know, if you go to, how many of you have a computer? I guess everybody here has, or an iPhone. If you go to uh, phobialist.com, phobialist.com, you will be amazed at the hundreds of phobias that are listed there. Actually, about 530 phobias. And I have printed off the list here. There, I think there are 13, 13 pages, all in alphabetical order, of phobias. Okay? Now then, many phobias have special names. For example, acrophobia is the fear of heights. Agoraphobia is the fear of open spaces. And claustrophobia is the fear of small places, of being closed in. Allurophobia is the fear of cats. That's why I don't have one. Never have, never will. Ophidiophobia is the fear of snakes. Arachnophobia is the fear of what? Spiders. I don't care how small they are. Brother Sam, I still don't like them. How about hydrophobia? 
afraid of water. Hydro, afraid of water. Uh, mysophobia is the fear of germs. And xenophobia is the fear of foreigners or strangers. Ecclesi- ecclesiophobia is the fear of, ch- of church. A lot of folks have that fear. <laughs> right? I mean, it's obvious. Sorry. No, I'm not either. A lot of people have a fear of church. How about this one? Hadephobia. Hades. Hadeophobia is a fear of hell. Where'd you guys learn that? Keep reading. But you know what? In essence, many many people should have that fear. How about ergophobia? That's the fear of work. Again, there's a lot of folks that have that one. Disophobia is the fear of getting rid of stuff. You know any hoarders? More than 20 million Americans suffer from belonophobia. And that's the fear of needles. That's me. I do not like needles. Never have. How about pentherophobia? Oh, you'll like this one. Pentherophobia is the fear of a mother-in-law. Some married couples suffer from spousophobia. I'm just kidding. That one wasn't in there. Uh, But here's one more. You'll like this one. If I can say it. Iraqi beauty rophobia. Yeah. Let's all say it together. Iraqi beauty rophobia. That's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. (laughs) And I'm not kidding. So look, look up that list. 530 of them. The last count. And these are all phobias. They're real, folks. Here's some facts about fear. Fear comes from a lack of faith. Fear and faith cannot live in the same heart. When we become fearful, we lose our faith in God's ability to help. To help us. Fear is not of God. The Apostle Paul said, quote, in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear is sin. The word afraid is first mentioned by Adam in Genesis 3 verse 10. It says, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. Adam was afraid, folks, because of his disobedience to God. Here's another fact. Uh, here, sorry, fear keeps a Christian from pleasing God. Hebrews eleven six says, "But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him." Here's another fact. Some people live in constant state of fear. Fear is false evidence which appears real. Fear will also destroy your health. In an article entitled The, the uh, Anatomy of Fear, 
the author said this, quote, in spite of what they say, 90% of the chronic patients who visit physicians have one common symptom. Their trouble did not start with a cough or chest pain or hyperacidity. In 90% of the cases, the very first symptom was fear. Sooner or later, this fear manifests itself as a clinical symptom. <clears throat> I have a book in my library entitled None of These Diseases. Have you you've seen that, Mark? It's by a Dr. S.I. McMillan. That's an older book. And he wrote that some of the fear-induced diseases are high blood pressure, heart trouble, kidney disease, goiter, arthritis, headaches, strokes, and about 50 other illnesses. So, circumstances for Jesus rebuking this time was because they're filled with fear. What about the cause? Here it is. Why were the disciples filled with fear? Uh, what caused them to be afraid and, and to panic like they did? And, and what caused them to be faithless? I think it's because their lives were in danger. Their lives were in danger. In verse 24 it says, And there arose a great tempest in the sea. And the, what was happening was the sea was coming into their boat, and soon they would be trading places with the fishes. And they would be going down to Davy Jones' walk. How many of you know what that is? What is it? Pardon? No, no. It, it's, a, it's, it's a saying. It's a saying. Going down to Davy Jones' locker. Do you know what it is? Yes, exactly. It, it's a metaphor for the bottom of the sea. In other words, you're going down and you're not coming back up. The Sea of Galilee lies 680 feet below sea level, and it's notorious for sudden storms that sweep across it. And, but this was no ordinary storm, because it was a furious, violent, and turbulent storm that filled their hearts with fear. Remember, these are seasoned fishermen. You notice the word tempest there in verse 24? That's the Greek word for seismos. S-E-I-S-M-O-S. Seismos. And it means earthquake. And guess what word we get from that word? Seismic. We get the word, the English word seismic, from this word, which has to do with earthquakes and other movements of the earth's crust. And so, God, God, God's Holy Spirit is telling us here that this was not an ordinary storm. This, this was beyond ordinary. They'd never seen a storm like this. So let's look a little closer to see why they were filled with fear. First of all, they thought Jesus wasn't, was unconcerned and he just didn't care about them. In other words, he was asleep. You see that in verse 24? We're in verse, we're in verse uh, chapter 18. Yeah. Get my place here. Yeah, in Matthew, we're Matthew 7, 8, we're Matthew 8, sorry, lost my place here. We're Matthew 8, verse 24. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he, the Lord Jesus, was asleep. In Mark 4, 4 verse 38, 
Mark says, and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him. And they say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Lord, we're going, we're going, we're done for. Lord, we're going down. We're going to drown here. Don't you care? You know, sometimes, while going through difficult times, Christians think that God is asleep. And He just doesn't care about their problems. Have you ever felt that way? Lord, where are you? I'm in big trouble, Lord. Where are you? In a large city in Sri Lanka, that's underneath India, I believe, right underneath India, to the side there somewhere. Uh, in, in, in the large city of Sri Lanka, there's a huge stone statue of Buddha. And he is a, in a reclining position. Matter of fact, that statue is called the Sleeping Buddha. <coughs> He's asleep. The face is calm. His eyes are closed as he rests on his right side with his head with his head on his right hand. He's 50 feet long and the image is so impressive except for one thing. What do you see? What's he doing? Well, the title his the title of it tells you what he's doing. He's sleeping. He's sleeping while his worshipers Or they're worshiping him. But he's asleep. He's asleep. And um, the world's going by. He couldn't care less. He's paying no attention to them. And he doesn't care about his followers. And this is just one of thousands of statues of Buddha all over the world. And you'll see pictures of them. They kneel down. And they're worshiping him but he doesn't hear a thing that they're saying. You know, our God is not like that, is he? Somebody turn to Psalm, Melody, Psalm 121, please. And read verses 1 through 4. Psalm 121, verses 1 through 4. Go ahead, whenever you're ready, dear. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Amen. You know, shame on his disciples, and shame on us. When we're filled with fear, thinking that he he just doesn't care for his children. He's just asleep. He's just taking a little nap. Well, here's the second reason. Not only did they thought that Jesus was unconcerned and didn't care, but, but they thought that they were going to die. In verse 25, we see that. And it says, And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We perish. We're going to die. We're done for. Here's another phobia, by the way, for you. Necrophobia. And you know what that is? That's the fear of dying. It's the fear of dying. And you know a lot of people have a fear, even Christians. There are churches full of Christians who have an absolute fear of dying. Necrophobia. Hebrews 
Chapter 9, verse 27 tells us that we're all going to die. I mean, that's a fact. Unless the Lord comes first and takes us in the rapture. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And the only way, the only way that anyone can escape death is when the rapture takes place. However, if you're saved, you don't have to fear death. Amen? Listen to what David said in Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Here's the third reason. They failed to recognize who Jesus was. Verse 27. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? What manner of man is this? What kind of man is he? <coughs> well, just think of this, folks. The creator of the winds, uh, the creator of the sea, the creator of, the, of that storm, the creator of the, of the disciples, was asleep in their boat. That's hard to comprehend. But they forgot that although he was asleep, he was still in control. Amen? Because he was very man and still very God. You know, how often we forget who Jesus is and we panic when our world begins to fall apart. Now, sometimes it seems that, uh, yeah, it's just falling apart. We forget that Jesus is sovereign, that he has supreme and ultimate power, and he is in control of every situation. Nothing happens to us without his concern. Well, let's look at the cure, all right? We saw the circumstances, we've seen the cause. Now let's look at the cure. In the Bible, there are about two dozen words relating to fear. And uh, they range in meaning from uh, terror to timidity. But the majority of them, and, and the majority of them, carry a negative meaning. However, one kind of fear is positive. And what kind of fear is that? Yes. The fear of God. The fear of the Lord. And that means... Of reverential trust, we trust Him. Uh, it means to be in awe of. It, it means to revere. And you know, the cure for fear is to fear uh, the Lord. In 1644, William Gurnall, I think that's how you say it, William Gurnall, became the pastor of a church in Lavenham, England. And that's not far from Ipswich, where Melody is from. But he, he, he became known for his book, and I think Mark and Violet have read it, The Christian in Complete Armor. And it was published in three volumes. And he once said this, We fear men so much because we fear God so little. Hmm. John Witherspoon, 1723 to 1794, he was the most important political minister during the Revolutionary period. He, presented, he represented New Jersey in the Continental Congress, and he was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. He said this, quote, It is only the fear of God that can deliver us from the fear of man. Solomon, David's son, was the wisest man who ever lived. He said this in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Well, Jesus himself said in Matthew ten twenty eight, And fear not them which kill the body, 
but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Again, Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4 says, here's the cure for fear. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Isn't that good? And you know, at least 63 times in God's word, we are reminded to fear not. And the fear of the Lord displaces all other fears. If you fear God, you have nothing else to fear. A couple more verses here. Hebrews 13, 6 says, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So, let's wrap this up. Here are three good reasons why we don't have to fear. First of all, because of the great person that Jesus is. Isn't he a great person? Yeah. What manner of man is this? Verse 27. The disciples were amazed and, and they wondered what kind of man could perform this kind of a miracle. Well, he wasn't just an ordinary man. And there's the, there's the secret there. Not the secret, but that's the truth. Jesus was and is the sovereign, almighty God and creator of all. Second, because of the great power that Jesus has. You see, he healed the sick. We see this in verse 2, the leper, verse 13, the centurion's servant, Peter's mother-in-law, all those who were sick. He has power over disease. Third, or B, he, he not, only, uh, not only because of the great person he is, because of the great power that he has, he healed the sick. He calmed the sea in verse 26. And after he rebuked his disciples, Jesus rebuked the sea. You see, he has power over nature because he created it. Colossians 1 verse 16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And then, not only did he heal the sick, but he calmed the sea, but he also cast out the spirit, evil spirits. And we see that in verse 16. You see, he has power over the demonic forces. And then third, because of the great peace that Jesus gives. Verse 26 says, there was a great calm. And the word calm there means tranquility. It means calmness. It means peacefulness, quiet. And you know, when you're going through the storms of life, folks, and fear grips your heart, Jesus will calm them and he'll give you peace. Amen? Amen. Everyone goes through storms, right? We've all gone through storms. 27 years ago this month, God called our son John home. And we certainly, our family was in the midst of a great storm. But Jesus gave us peace that only He can give, Brother Tim. And He gave us a calmness that passes all understanding. 
You know why? Because we knew where John was. We knew where he went. Have you ever, by the way, have you ever heard somebody say, um, uh, you know, we've just lost, and they say they've lost some, a loved one or someone? Well, if they're saved, you know where they are. So you don't have to say, we've lost someone, right? We've not lost him. He's right where God promised he would be with himself. And uh, I think that many, many Christians have had similar experiences. We, uh, we're going through this difficult time. And we have to remember that Jesus will give us a calmness in our hearts. And he gave us peace. In Mark says this, in Mark 4.39, it says, And he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and he said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So, as we uh, finish this, this lesson tonight, what happened to the disciples when it was all said and done? What happened to the disciples? Paul Harvey, he used to say this, and now, for the rest of the story, here it is. They made it across the sea. <laughs> they got there safely. Yeah. And uh, they made it to the other side. Matter of fact, Mark tells us in Mark, in Mark 5 verse 1, and they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadareans. You know, last week uh, I told you about the Frenchman Blondin, who on June the 30th, 1859, became the first person to walk across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And uh, after his first successful crossing, it became almost a regular stroll for him. And not content to simply walk across a rope, he planned even more daring stunts, including crossing while blindfolded, walking on stilts, riding on a bicycle, or pushing a wheelbarrow. His most bizarre crossing involved cooking. He carried a small stove halfway across, and he calmly prepared and ate an omelet. In August of 1859, he crossed the gorge with his manager, Harry Colcord, on his back. And according to Colcord, the episode was a fearful nightmare from beginning to end. I guess it was. But they made it safely across because Colcord trusted Blondin. You know, life can sometimes... Seemed like walking a tightrope in a fearful nightmare. And it's during those times that we need to remember that Jesus is in control. And He's not asleep. So we need to learn to trust Him. And don't be afraid. I read this in a devotional. Quote, we all experience storms, persecutions, financial troubles, illnesses, disappointments, loneliness, and Jesus does not always prevent them, but He has a promise never to leave us nor forsake us. And you know what? He will keep us calm in the storm because of the great person that He is and because of the great power that He has and because of the great peace 
that he gives. He'll carry us, carry us through this life and he'll safely deliver us across to the other side. Isn't that good? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this uh, rebuke. Once again, Lord, we thank you for... Uh, you've told us why you rebuked your disciples because they were filled with fear. And Lord, that's us. How often we're filled with fear. Help us, Lord, to remember that you give great peace and you'll calm us. You'll calm the storm and you'll bring us through safely to the other side. Father, bless your people here tonight. I don't know what some folks are going through, but you do. And that's all that matters. And I pray that your word will comfort, bring comfort and uh, encouragement to each one. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.